We need this on. We, I don't have a comfortable relationship in this church with this microphone, this one here. It seems that every week it gives me trouble and uh, it's done it again to me. Um, I'm going to instruct Brendan to buy a new one because it is just a shocker but I'm going to try and get it working. Is that working, Grant? Can you hear me? Okay, let's pray to the Lord that this microphone will hold together today. Have you had a good week? Has the Lord blessed you? Has the Lord blessed you? Yes, now it is a warm Sabbath, amen? Only as Australia can put on, but I know the Holy Spirit will be with us here this morning as we open our Bibles and study. I wonder before we start, if you could lean over to the person next to you and say, God loves you and so do I. Now I pray that as you say that, that you mean it. God loves you and so do I. And isn't it a good God that we serve? And he loves us and he cares for us. And as I went through this week being blessed by the Lord, it was just one of those weeks where I was praising God. I was praising God that he was my God and that he loved me. You know, when you recognise that God loves you, it makes it a lot easier to love others, especially when they're unlovable. And some of you might have leant over and said God loves you and so do I to some unlovable, although we don't have unlovable people at, at Warunga, so that wouldn't have happened, would it? But I'm glad to see you here. We miss our pathfinders, amen? Doesn't it make a hole in the church when our children are missing? We miss them and, and I, I, I'm sorry they're away. I wish we could have them here every Sabbath. But you pray for our pathfinders that today they too will be drawn closer to the Lord. We're going to do, I think it's a very interesting and, and it's a challenging study, but I enjoy it. I enjoyed it as I prepared it. I enjoyed as I studied it and I'm praying that you'll enjoy it and be challenged as you study it with me this morning. And before we start, I'd just like to invite you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to be, to stay here because he's, he's been here and oh, you sung beautifully this morning. And ask for the Holy Spirit to be here, to bless us and to teach and move us to Jesus. Let's, let's bow our heads. God, Jesus Christ, our Lord, it is a hot day. We come here this morning to worship you and we pray, Lord, that as we open the word, as we study it, that you will shed light into our hearts where perhaps there is darkness and that we will leave this place challenged by your deep love for us and longing to serve you until you come. This is my prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. I've uh, entitled this study this morning, Walking on the Water. You don't have to be a theologian to probably guess where we're going. And so without further ado, I want to invite you to open your Bibles. Pray the Lord has encouraged you to bring your Bibles this morning. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. This time I've ensured that all the texts are right. So you can open your Bibles with assurance that you are headed in the right direction. Matthew chapter 14. It is the story of Peter. One of my favourite subjects. It's the story of Peter walking on the water. 
Now, I'm not sure about you, but I've always had, always had an interest in walking on water. Perhaps not in the same vein of Peter's story. But from a very early age, my dad chose, and I'm glad he did, to get three of his boys involved in water skiing. The fourth one who came along ten years after me also gained, got, through dad, a passion for water skiing. He went out and he bought an old boat. And I'll remember, as long as I live, learning how to water ski. Oh, what a... What an experience and what a thrill it was to first get up on two skis and you're racing along the water and the thrill is almost indescribable. And then to move from two skis to one ski. Wow. Well, to this day I enjoy slalom, one ski, more than any other form of water skiing. And we used to love skiing, but the ultimate for us as young men when it came to water skiing, was to be able to barefoot. Now, I wonder here in this congregation this morning, I want to see a hand or two. Is there anyone here who can barefoot? That means ski without skis. Is there anyone? I'm look- Did you put your hand up there, Chris? Was that no? There's no one. Well, there you go, hey? I can tell that, oh, down the front, Pastor Brown, he, you barefoot, do you, brother? You have done, you're too old for it now, I guess. I understand that thoroughly, brother. But I remember learning to barefoot, to walk on water. And literally, when you learn to barefoot, well, you can walk on water. And it was a very, very difficult exercise because the problem with barefooting is you never fall sideways. You never fall backwards. You always fall, you always fall forwards, right Kevin? Always fall forwards onto your head. Some would say perhaps that's what's wrong with you Lloyd. Too many falls on your head. But I tell you, learning to barefoot was hard and there's only one way to do it and that's to get out there and try. And try I did for months. And I had crash after crash after crash all on my head, always forwards, never backwards, never sideways. Very difficult experience until I met a guy at big camp in South Queensland and he said, get a kneeboard. And he said, get on that kneeboard and then twist around till your your legs are out in front of you. He said, make sure the boat's doing about 40 mile an hour because he looked at me and could see I was a big fellow. And he said, then plant your feet. And he said, you're barefoot. I thought, well, I'll try this. We went out to a lake not far from, from big camp up there at Queensland. We dropped our boat in. We had a kneeboard. We got going. I, I, I got up on the kneeboard. It was swiveling around in the front end. I managed finally to get my legs out the front and, and my brother who was driving the boat then sped up to 40 mile an hour and bang, I planted my feet fully expecting to go over on my head and to my delight and joy, I was standing on the water, barefooting. It was a tremendous experience walking on the water. I got to the end and I flipped back on my back and I came to a stop and I said, Colin, turn the boat round, let's make sure that was no fluke. I'll try it again. And I tried it again and sure enough, boat sped up, I got my legs in front of me, I planned it and I was up again and I was barefooting and I loved it and I enjoyed it walking on the water but perhaps this morning's story is a little different and perhaps 
far more wonderful than what I experienced all those years ago. Walking on the water. Matthew chapter 14. And I want to pick the story up in verse 22 and verse 23. Matthew 14 verse 22 and 23. Have you got your Bibles here today? Hold your Bibles up if you've got your Bible here. Right up so I can praise the Lord. Now follow this with me this morning because it's important. Matthew chapter 14 verse 22 and 23. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And the Bible says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him on the other side while he dismissed the 5,000. You see, the Bible says that that Jesus, who had just fed 5,000 people, got his disciples to get into a boat and head out to sea. And if you follow with me to verse 23, it says, after he had dismissed them, He went up on the mountainside by himself to pray and when evening came, he was alone. Now the first point I want you to get this morning in this story and when you study the stories of Jesus, you see this time after time after time in his ministry. Jesus was a man of what? He was a man of what? He was a man of prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. Now Jesus knew God. Jesus was God and yet Jesus had a deep desire in his heart to be a man of prayer, to talk to God, to commune with him. We live in a very difficult world, don't we? A very difficult world. It's not easy to, it's not easy to live on this planet at the moment. Things are out of control, families are falling apart, job security is unsure. Financial insecurity, it's hard and we as Seventh-day Adventists, and I've said it many times in this church, we need to learn to be a people of prayer, genuinely a people of prayer, spending time with God in prayer like Jesus did. You wonder where the power of Jesus' ministry came. It came from his prayer. Let's go on in this story, verse, chapter 14 and verse 25. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. You'll find that the disciples had actually got caught in a little bit of a storm. And Jesus, realising his disciples were in distress, walked on the water out to the boat. If you are facing difficulties this morning and if you have pain and hurt in your life, If there are things happening in your life that cause you distress, if you are down and if you are in a tunnel of darkness and in a church this size, even with our pathfinders away, there has to be people sitting out there this morning who are in darkness, who are down, who are discouraged, who cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. If that's you, then you've got to recognise, I'm praying to God you will see through this story that Jesus... Praise God, Jesus will walk across the water. Jesus will walk through the storm to get you. And you ought to praise God for that. He will walk on water to get to you and help you. We follow the story in verse 26. The Bible says in Matthew 14 verse 26 that when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
Verse 28, and I love this. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. And in verse 29, Jesus said, come, he said, come. And Peter got down on the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. This is a wonderful story. The boat's in a storm. Jesus walks across the water. Peter sees Jesus. He says, Lord, if it's you, did Peter know that it was Jesus? Did Peter know that it was Jesus? Well, what did he do getting out of the boat? Would you get out of the boat and walk on the water if you weren't sure it was Jesus? Peter trusted that he who had come to him in the storm was Jesus. And Peter said, if it's you, Jesus, can I come to you? And, Peter, and Jesus said, Peter, get out of the boat and walk. And Peter got out of the boat and he began to walk toward Jesus. Now, we know the story how he turned his face away and he began to sink. But he looked back toward Jesus and he rose up and he walked on the water to Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful story and there's a couple of points I want to share with you here. Peter was prepared to get out of the boat. Peter was prepared to take a risk for Jesus. And sometimes I think in Adventism we're in a church that's no risk. We're not prepared to do anything if there's risk involved to it. I remember just the other night, it was about three o'clock in the morning, two, three Sabbath nights ago, Saturday night, and I heard a bang on the door. Who would come to my place at three in the morning? I felt threatened. So rather, I have a little screen on a phone that I can see who's at the front. And I look, I never recognised this young fella at the front door at three in the morning. I felt threatened and so I went up onto the veranda and I looked down and I said, what do you want? He was drunk from Guernsey. He said, I'm lost. Can I use your phone? Now what would you say? Is there a risk in that? You know what, as church people, sometimes we've got to learn, as people who follow God, we've got to learn to risk. And you know what I said? No, you can't. He said, I'm lost. I said, well, walk up there and out there and, and you'll find your way. He said, no, I don't know where to go. Now, the Lord started to work on my heart. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll throw my phone down to you. You can ring someone. I threw the phone down to him. He, did, he was so drunk he couldn't ring anybody. I said, I'll ring you a taxi. I'll throw the phone back up here, man. I'm on the top balcony, he's down the bottom where he can't get me. He throws the phone back to me. I rang the taxi company up, they said, yeah, we'll be there soon. You know, I knew for a fact, because I remember when I was living that sort of lifestyle, the taxi would take three to four hours. I took the phone, I shut the door, I went back into my bedroom. I got back in the bed. I knew this guy was outside waiting for a taxi. It wasn't good enough for the Lord Jesus Christ, that sort of behaviour from one of his pastors, let me tell you. Because I was trying to go to sleep. You think the Lord had let me? There was no way I was going in for sleep. And, and finally I thought, I'll blow it. And I got up and I walked downstairs and I opened the door and I said, has the taxi arrived? Well, of course I hadn't, he was still there. I said, look, I'll ring the taxi company up and I'll take you home. Where do you live? He said, well, I'm visiting from Guernsey. And I, he was drunk and he says, I, I'm, li- I, I'm at Werribee. You know where Werribee is? Somewhere over near um, Willoughby. Willoughby, sorry, not Werribee. You know where Willoughby is? Over near Chatswood. I live at Calliwall. I thought there was a risk taking this guy. I didn't know who he was, but God had called me. And I got in the car 
And I took him at 3, 3.30 in the morning all the way across to Willoughby and came home and I said, Lord, what was that for? The guy was not thankful. He was drunk all the way. You know, yesterday his auntie rang me up and she had tracked me down. This happened three weeks ago. And she said, I'm ringing you up just to thank you. She said, by the way, why is it that you took this guy across the other side of town in the middle of the night? And I said, well, interesting you say that. I said, I follow Jesus Christ. And you know what she said to me? Wasn't that a risk for you to do that in this world? I said, yes, but I follow Jesus Christ. And he asked me to risk. He asked me to risk. You know, this church is going into a, we're not quite there, but we're headed into a television ministry. Is there risk in that? Sometimes people criticise you when you step out for God. There is risk in what we're trying to do. But through the power of God, every time you risk for him, he makes sure you end up on top. Peter, I admire Peter in this story. He was prepared to have a go, to risk something for Jesus. And before we go on, I wonder how many of you out there have risked something for Jesus Christ recently, living in this non-risk world of ours in Sydney, Australia. How many of you have risked something for Jesus? Peter, in this story, is a hero. He's a guy I look up to and I want to be like. Now turn to the second story in John chapter 18. John chapter 18 and verse 12. Jesus is in trouble. He's been arrested. He's been taken to Ananias and Caiaphas' court. And in verse 12 we find then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him. And they brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. It was, a, it was a fraud, this arrest of Jesus Christ. But you know the story, how he was, he was dragged into Caiaphas and Annas' court. And there he was asked to give an account of his ministry. And if you follow in the story to verse 15, we find Peter again. And this is a sad story, but it's one that should come home to us this morning. Because in verse 15 it says, Simon, Peter and another disciple, that's John, were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. Peter, Peter, you know what, you've got to admire Peter here. Peter was the one who got out of the boat. Peter was also the one that when Jesus was arrested never ran. You go and read Desire of Ages, you'll find that all the other disciples ran for the hills. Peter didn't run. Admire Peter. He did not run. He followed Jesus all the way to the court, to the judgment court where Jesus was put on trial. Now you've got to admire Peter here. He's a man still to be looked up to. He did not run but the story deteriorates because in verse 16 and 17 of John chapter 18, it's a sad story, the Bible says, but Peter had to wait outside the courtyard. The other disciple, John, was able to get in. And in verse 17, someone, a girl says to him, you are not one of his disciples, are you? Peter replied, I am not. Peter denies Jesus Christ. If you go to verse 25, same chapter, you pick up as Simon Peter again was stood warming himself. He was asked, you are not one of his disciples, are you? The second time. This is Peter the courageous. 
This is Peter who got out of the boat. And now all of a sudden, Peter the courageous, Peter the faithful, Peter who would take a risk for Jesus Christ is now denying him. Look at it, as Simon Peter, verse 25, stood warming himself, second denial, you're not one of his disciples. He denied it and he said, I am not. And you can almost feel Peter. You can almost feel the rebellion and the resentment rising up in his heart as he now makes this stand against Jesus Christ. And then you go to verse 26 and verse 27 and you see Peter's final denial. Verse 26 and 7, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who dear Peter had cut off, challenged him, didn't I see you with Jesus? What a wonderful accusation. Wouldn't you love to be accused of that at work? Didn't I see you with Jesus? How I wish more people would accuse me of being with Jesus. It's a wonderful accusation. It's a beautiful accusation. I wish people would say, didn't I see you, Lloyd Grolleman, with Jesus? Didn't I see you? He says in verse 26, didn't I see you with Jesus in the olive grove? Verse 27, and again, Peter denied it and at that moment, the rooster crowed. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 14 verse 72 because I like the way Mark finishes this story better. Mark chapter 14 verse 72. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Unbelievable. This is Jesus' hero. This is the man who had always stood up for Jesus, who was courageous and loyal. Mark chapter 14 verse 72. The Bible says immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the same guy, Peter, who had walked on the water with Jesus and now he's denying Jesus. Isn't that the experience of so many of us? At times we stand firm for Jesus, the next moment we find ourselves denying Jesus Christ. Look, I love the desire of ages. Just the other day I was out visiting a lady and she gave me this book, Desire of Ages. This book is over 50 years of age and it means a lot to me. And as I was reading this story about Jesus, about Peter denying Jesus, I came to this quote. While the degrading oaths, look at it, up on the board. While the degrading oaths were fresh upon Peter's lips and the shrill crowing of the cock was still ringing in his ears, the Saviour turned from the frowning judges and looked full upon his poor disciple. Look, I know it's hot, but look what's happening here now. At that same time, Peter's eyes were drawn to his master. Look at this. And in that gentle countenance, he read deep pity and sorrow and there was no anger there. And if we had the time and you had the book, you could read further on and find that Peter was mortified at what he had just done. You know, Jesus suffered much in his crucifixion. Nothing more than when our sins were put upon his soul. But other than that, the most grievous wound that Jesus Christ received as he went to the cross was watching his friend and his solid, faithful disciple, Peter, deny him. It hurt Jesus and it still hurts Jesus when we deny him. And as a people, we find, Lloyd Grolleman, I find so many ways to deny Jesus Christ. And every time I do it, it hurts my Lord. 
And yet I have never had Jesus come back to me with recriminations and with hasty, harsh words. Jesus, as he was to Peter, has always been gentle and kind and he calls us softly. And Jesus called this day, even though he was in the process of dying, Jesus in that one look was calling Peter. And Desire of Ages said, Peter fled from that judgment hall. Blindly he ran down the streets of Jerusalem, not knowing where he was going, ending up of all places in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter fell down on his knees and he wept in sorrow for what he had just done to his Saviour. But Ellen White tells us, and if you get the time and you've got the book Desire of Ages, you go home and read this chapter this afternoon. Ellen White tells us that there on the ground, as Jesus was dying, Peter weeping in the garden of Gethsemane, Peter experienced a deep, deep conversion to Jesus Christ. That night in his darkest hour, when he had let his Lord down more than at any other time in his life, God, through the Holy Spirit, came to Peter in his darkest hour, in the darkest pit of the tunnel. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, comes to Peter and converts him. And Ellen White says he went through a conversion experience on the evening of Jesus' suffering and persecution. And for a few moments today, I want to look at what happened in Gethsemane at Peter, to Peter. And this is where really the rubber hits the road today. I, I know it's hot because I'm feeling it. Are you feeling hot out there? Or is it just me? Are you feeling hot? Whew. We're going to do something about air conditioning in this church. But we're going to go into a very sacred few minutes now. And I don't, you who come to this church regularly know that I don't normally do this but I feel a real need for the Lord to be in this church right now. And so I want to ask you to bow your heads once more as we look at what happened to Peter in his conversion that night in Gethsemane. Let's just bow our heads because this is eternal, what we're about to look at. Lord, it is hot. I'm having trouble with the heat. I'm having difficulties with it, Lord. And I know your people must be struggling through this very hot, humid day. But just for a few more minutes now, Lord, we plead the presence of your Holy Spirit as we look at the conversion of this precious Son of yours. May in this story, as we proceed, may we find light in the tunnel for ourselves. Please hear our prayer, we pray, Lord. Be with us now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Because what happened to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane happened to Isaiah and God willing has happened or will happen to you. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. Let these words sink into your heart. Jesus is coming soon and what we're looking at now is eternal and it's your eternity. I praise God, I've settled this question in my heart. But for some of you it's your eternity. And this may be the only time you see this. So this is a a sacred hour. Verse 1, Isaiah says that in the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is a majestic scene 
that Isaiah sees. He is taken straight into the throne room of God. Above him, above God, were angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah was confronted in this vision by the powerful, omnipresent, transcendent, all-living God. So powerful is God. And by the way, this is Jesus Christ who Isaiah is confronted with. So powerful is God that the very throne room itself is shaking. I want to tell you that on the night that Peter was in that judgment hall, he was confronted as Jesus looked at him by the very same God. He may have been bruised, he may have been battered, he may have had a crown of thorns on his head, but the very same God that confronted Isaiah in the throne room of heaven, that same God was the God who confronted Peter in the judgment hall of Caiaphas and Annas. Powerful God, beautiful God. And you know that each of us come to a place in our lives that like Isaiah and Peter, we are confronted by God. And I want to tell you that there are some of you here in this church this morning, this is your time. You this morning are being confronted by the God of Isaiah, by the gentle Jesus of Peter. Let's read on Isaiah's response as he sees this God. He says, and this should be the response I guess of all of us, He says, woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah looked at God and more of us need to look at God and you look at God in the Word. Isaiah looked at God and his immediate response was, God, woe am I. I look at God this morning and I say, God, woe am I. I am a man, Lloyd Grolleman of unclean lips. I am a man of a dark, dark heart. Woe, woe is me. And when Peter saw Jesus in the judgment hall and Jesus looked at him with such gentleness and with such love and with such forgiveness, Peter said, woe is me. I am a man of darkness. I am a man of unclean lips. He was convicted deeply of his sinfulness. And every time I go to Jesus Christ, every time I open the Bible and every time I get on my knees, I am convicted. Lloyd Grolleman, I'm convicted of my sinfulness. That's what happens when you confront God. But it doesn't end there. Praise God. It doesn't end there. Because if we go then to verse 6 and 7, Then one of the angels flew to me, says Isaiah, with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar before God. And with it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. This is a beautiful passage. Isaiah, who stands before God and says, I am dark. Woe is me, my lips are unclean. An angel takes a tongue of fire from the throne room, from the very throne of God himself and he touches it to his lips and that fire burns away the the shame, the guilt, the darkness and the sinfulness. Praise God. When Peter went to Gethsemane, 
the same thing happened to him. He, he, he stood before the Lord God of heaven. He was guilty. He had participated in treachery to the highest level. Peter, who had walked with Jesus, who had seen Jesus heal people, who had been touched by Jesus' love and Jesus' gentleness himself. Peter had betrayed Jesus. And yet, here is Peter now in the garden, broken hearted, in the darkness of sin, lost to God. And the Lord comes to him, read Desire of Ages, wish we had more time. The Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, comes to Peter. And that evening, the sin, the shame, the guilt, the darkness of what Peter had just done, that evening, it was burned away. You ought to say, Amen. Because the same God, the same God who came to Isaiah and burned away his sin, shame and guilt. The same God who came to Peter and burned away his shame, his sin, the darkness in his life, burned away his guilt. That same God is offering himself to you this morning and he will do the same thing for you if you allow God to convict you of your sin. There's nothing wrong with being convicting you, convicted by God. You ought to praise God. He's here convicting you through the power of the Holy Spirit. You allow God to convict you of your sin. If you get on your knees and you say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I beg your forgiveness. Come into my heart. He then will take a coal of fire from the altar in front of the throne of God and he will touch it to your lips and he will burn you, uh, uh, burn away all the sin and all the shame and all the guilt. Praise God, amen? I know it's hot, but praise God, amen? And we finish this passage in verse 8 and 9 and I love it. And this is where this message hits home. Isaiah was converted as he stood before God and as God purified him, Isaiah was converted. Isaiah probably died in a hollow log, cut in half for God. He was converted. Peter, as he lay in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane with tears flowing from his eyes, he was converted. And when he was converted and when Isaiah was converted, something happened. Please, Hear this. Isaiah says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, What does it say? Whom? Whom shall I send? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah stands up and Peter gets up off the ground in the garden of Gethsemane. Here I am. Here I am. Send me. Convicted in the presence of God. Purified at Gethsemane. Purified by a hot coal. If you have been converted, listen to me. Are you with me? If you have been converted, if you have been convicted, if you have been purified, you will then go to work for Jesus Christ. And if you are not working for Jesus Christ, now in his church, I hope you're hearing me, this is eternal, eternal stuff. 
if you are not working for the Lord here in his church, doing his will, doing his work, then hear me folks, I know this is tough, but it's the truth, hear me, you are not converted. And that's a serious thing. Look at what happened to Peter. Oh, I wish we had more time, but we're running out of time. Quickly go across to Acts. We'll just look very quickly. Peter walks out of that garden, a changed man. Isaiah woke up from that vision, a changed man. Who will, who will go for us, says the Lord? Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me, says Isaiah. Here am I. I will go, says Peter. Now look at Peter. Peter the treacherous. Peter who betrayed Jesus. Peter, who left Jesus at his most trying hour, look at how Peter now is described in the Bible after this conversion, after this conversion experience. Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, when they saw the what? When they saw the courage. What's Peter, and, what's Peter being described as now? A man of courage. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, these men were under attack from the very same men who crucified Jesus. Now Peter, instead of denying that he knew Jesus, stands up tall because he's been converted, because he's doing God's work and the Bible describes him as a man of courage. Have a look quickly at chapter 5, verse 40. Peter preaching, his speech persuaded them They called the apostles in and had them what? Had them what? This is Peter the coward. He's been converted. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, when Jesus Christ comes into Isaiah's life, he changes you from the inside out completely. And the first thing you want to do when you are truly converted to Jesus Christ is you want to jump up and you want to work for God. I praise the Lord that he came into my life. I praise the Lord that he came into my heart. And I want to tell you, I'm a testament to the fact I cannot keep quiet. And people ring me up on the phone and say, thanks for taking a guy across the other side of town. All I was interested in was trying to somehow get across to this woman that there's nothing good in me, that the only reason I did it is because Jesus is my saviour. I'm working for God. And the thing that worries me about the Adventist church in Australia, we don't have a church of Adventism in Australia. We don't have a church full of lazy people. Seventh-day Adventists in Australia are some of the hardest workers I've ever seen. The thing that worries me is they're not working for Jesus Christ. Oh, we're out there. We're working to pay for our homes. We're working for our holidays. We're working for our cars. We're working for success. We're working for everything except Jesus Christ. And we are at the most stupendous time in the history of the world and never has God needed workers. You know, the, the, the fields are teeming with wheat. There are no harvesters. Never has God needed workers like he needs them now. But he will never have them until Lloyd Grolleman until Warunga Seventh-day Adventist Church, until a church in Australia has a conversion experience. And that's what worries me, when we can't get people to work in the church. I've heard all the excuses. I'm too busy. My work is too intense. I don't get enough time with my family. Oh, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. I, I, I haven't got time to do the work of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, you need to, we need to, I need to. We need to make time. Because if we're converted, 
Are you converted? Are you converted? If you're converted, look, if you have experienced conviction, it's a beautiful experience, it's a troubling experience. You're not comfortable. And you're not meant to be comfortable when you're convicting, being convicted by the Holy Spirit. God's trying to move you. Isaiah was not comfortable as he stood before God. Peter was not comfortable when Jesus looked at him. They weren't meant to be comfortable. They're meant to be uncomfortable. That's conviction. God's trying to move you. He won't move you if you're comfortable. But if you're convicted and you respond to that conviction and you get down on your knees and you say, Jesus... I am a sinner. This is not difficult. I've done this in this church before. I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Purify me. And if you keep praying that prayer morning and night, morning and night, day after day, Jesus, it's a miracle. Jesus comes down into your heart and he purifies you. And went, oh, I know, I'm watching that time, I know what it's like to be purified by Jesus Christ. I know what it's like to have the darkness burned, about, burned away by living coals from the throne room of God. It, look, it's a beautiful experience. Amen? Amen? It's a beautiful experience. How can you have a conversion experience with Jesus Christ? How can you? How can you, Lloyd, have a conversion experience with Jesus Christ and not want to work with him? Is it possible? Is it possible? You can't. You can't have a true conversion experience with God and not want to work with him, for him, with him, for him. You can't have a conversion experience and not want to work for Jesus. Am I right? We come up to nominating committee. You make a big mistake if you think I'm up here preaching this because I'm worried about nominating committee. I'm not worried about nominating committee. The Lord has always had his way in Warunga and we always get people who are faithful and loyal who will serve. I'm worried about all of you out there who refuse to do the work of God. And you know who I'm talking to, even though I don't really know who I'm talking to. If you've had a conversion experience, oh, I don't like the pastor, I'm not going to go work in that church, well, he's the pastor. Well, you don't say that, do you? (laughs) Do you? (laughs) Some of you do, no doubt. It's got nothing to do with the pastor. The pastor's not God. The pastoral team are not who you're worshipping, are they? You're in trouble if you are. We're worshipping who? Who's the true pastor of this church? Who's the true master? It's God, it's Jesus Christ. If you've been converted, if you've been converted, then for goodness sake, for your own experience, volunteer to do some work for Jesus Christ. Amen? And if you're letting the pastor stop you, or you're letting your work stop you, then you are the poorer for it. Because there is no more greater blessing on this earth than working for Jesus Christ. Amen? It's for you. I can tell you right now, we are going to do this nominating committee with this committee. 
It will be done successfully and the positions will be filled. The question is, God has called you. He has converted you. I'm talking to people that have been through the experience of conversion today. I'm not here begging you to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Most of you are in this church because you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. Amen? Talking to the converted. If you want your life to be what Jesus would have it be, then volunteer for service to Jesus Christ in your church. In your church. This church will only ever move greatly for God and aren't we being blessed at Warunga SDA, amen? We're having growth, amen? Don't hear too much out there. Are we being blessed? But how much more the Lord God of heaven could bless us if you, those who have been convicted, who have been purified, who have been converted, how much greater blessings would be heaped upon this church if you would step forward, if you would stand up and say, Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. I don't like the pastor. And I, I, I don't like that head elder. And there's some people who upset me in that church. Here am I, Lord. I will do your work for you. How this church would be blessed. I want to make a call as I close. In fact, I want to read a text. Can you put that text up on the screen, please? Paul says, let's read it together. I, I tell you now. Let's do it again. I tell you. Now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. When? I want to make a call. If you choose, I want everybody with heads bowed as we bring this to a close. It's probably worth noting, and I've skipped a few things here, that Peter, Peter took this call to service so seriously that he was crucified upside down on a cross. For Jesus Christ. Isaiah took it so seriously that he was put inside a hollow log and cut in two. For Jesus Christ. This is service. This is what happens to you when you're converted.